This is Meanwhile. Today, we're going to talk about a really interesting personality tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is something I first heard about more than 20 years ago, and it's been a really valuable guide toward understanding myself, understanding my relationships, and seeing the ways that I can get beyond my own automatic ways of engaging with the world. It's a complex and fun instrument, and I'm sure that you will like it. So let's get started. Hello, everybody. Happy spring. It's meanwhile. This is Michael Melcher. I'm looking out on easily a foot of snow that is still covering the barren ground around my home. But spring is in my heart, and hopefully soon it will be out in the world. You may have heard the other Michael and I talk from time to time about different personality systems. And one of them that's my favorite is called the Enneagram. I've alluded to it before. Ennea means nine in Greek, so it's a nine-sided diagram. So today, I'm going to get into this Enneagram and explain it to you, and you can then use it as a tool to make your life more amazing. So let's get started. One thing to think about with any kind of personality system or tool is that they can serve two functions. The first, which is the common one, is where we use it to think about what kind of person am I and what makes me happy and how should I express myself and what's my deal, what's my thing. That's like the very common use of things like Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and DISC and Hogan and various other things like that. And there's a lot of use in that because it helps us to understand that we actually are different from other people and we may have gifts that we wouldn't normally acknowledge if somebody didn't put language on it. It can also help us to understand other people better because they're probably different from us, notwithstanding our desire that they be just like us. However, there is a second, less known, but probably more important use of personality type tools, and that is to transcend ourselves. So every every personality type is merely a subset of the whole range of human behavior possible. And if we are just sticking to one type, we are missing out on lots um, and we have blind spots. So part of the benefit of understanding personality differences according to different frameworks is to be able to get out of our heads and uh, actually be a little bit different and not be restricted. And that takes us to the Enneagram. So the Enneagram talks about our core style, but it might be more accurate to say that it talks about our core strategy. The idea being that each of us have a particular thing that we do. We have a bit. We have a, a default way of operating. And a way to think about it is... If I turn on my computer or my phone, it moves into action. But what's actually happening that we can't quite see is that it's booting up an operating system. It might be OS, it might be Windows, it might be Linux, it might be something new. That operating system is telling it how to interpret everything that's going on in the world. So when we wake up every morning, we also boot up an operating system, but we typically are not even aware of having one. We assume that actually we are dealing with reality, when in fact we're dealing with an interpretation of reality. And this is one thing that can be made clear when we go through this cool tool. All right, so let's jump right in. There are nine types, nine numbers, one through nine. Uh, They have names that can vary according to which author you're looking at. None is better than the other. And each one actually has what we can say different levels of development. So you can be a super healthy version of one. You can be kind of an average Joe version of one. And you can be like a super dysfunctional, insane version of one as well. So I'm going to run through the nine types and then I will explain them in more detail. One, perfectionist or reformer. Two, helper. Three, achiever or motivator, four, artist 
or individualist or romantic. Five, observer or investigator. Six, loyalist or questioner. Seven, adventurer or epicure. Eight, challenger or asserter. It used to be called a leader, but then they decided all types could be leaders. And nine is the harmonizer or diplomat. So let's go through them. Type one, perfectionist or reformer. Type ones believe there is a right and a wrong, and their core strategy is to be right and not wrong. Uh, Their need is to be right. So perhaps as little children, they grow up thinking, hmm, I'm not really sure if I'm love or or secure, but uh, if I do the right thing and not the wrong thing, then I can earn love and security. They work hard. They wake up thinking about how to improve themselves and the world. They're pretty relentless. Ones can seem very judgmental of other people, but they're even more judgmental of themselves. So when Hillary Clinton uh, repeated the words of her Methodist minister that said, you should do as much good for as many as you can, for as long as you can, that is a very one type of thing. Al Gore is also a one, I think. Very much about doing the right thing, and it's something you can figure out. Ones would never say six of one, half dozen another. There's always a correct answer. At their best... They could be super amazing, like Gandhi showing a new path. At their average and less qualified, they can be really judgmental and kind of annoying and uptight to be around. That's type one. Type two, helper. Helpers need to be needed. So their strategy is to read other people's emotions and needs and then do things for them in the hopes that then they'll be appreciated. Although in their minds, they're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart, but it sure would be nice if other people notice that from time to time. So twos are very externally focused. They're pretty good at reading people, checking in on emotions. They want harmony. They want people to like them. And they're always doing little things to help out. So it's a person who is helping out to set up the party or clean up afterwards, or the Starbucks person who takes time to ask about your day, or somebody who is giving you nice little gifts, or who gets everyone together to plan a birthday, generally reaching out. Now, the problem here is that twos don't always look inside, so they're not always aware of what their own needs are. They're constantly projecting outward. So this this could be a very positive thing. So Mother Teresa is probably a two. At average levels, you run into a bit more passive-aggressive type people who are doing things just to be nice, but then get pretty resentful um, that you don't appreciate them more and are not really aware of what they actually want or willing to articulate it. And then at the less healthy levels, it's kind of the stereotype of the Jewish mother sitting in the house. Oh, just go out, have a good time. I'll sit here in the dark alone. Don't worry about me. No one does. So that's type two. Three is the achiever or motivator. Their strategy is to achieve. Their need is to be seen as successful in the eyes of others. Maybe I'm not loved or secure for myself, but if I I'm valedictorian, if I'm on the football team, if I'm head cheerleader, if I have a really attractive boyfriend or girlfriend, um, if I have a nice house, if I have smiling, clean children who win trophies, if I'm promoted, then I feel safe. But it's nonstop. It always continues. So the U.S. is a very three country. It's all about achievement and moving ahead, this kind of linear progress, and it's very upbeat and, and peppy. Threes can actually be a little bit braggy. But in part, it's because they feel that they are motivating you to achieve ever higher heights. And when they hear about other people's successes, they're not exactly jealous, They but they do use it to goad themselves on to also achieve. 
I uh, went to Stanford Business School, and at business school, most people present as threes. It's kind of the normative side. New York is a three-city. Los Angeles is probably a three-city as well. So as I mentioned, in business school, people present as threes. But if you go back to the 10th or 20th reunion, you sort of see differences. So the threes are saying things like, well, Michael, um, great to see you. You look amazing. How's that workout going? You know, I have some really exciting news. As you know, I was uh, SVP for Asian equities and derivatives, and I recently had a very exciting promotion. Now I'm EVP for new products, derivatives, equities throughout Asia and Australia, New Zealand. It's a really exciting prospect. Lots of hard work, but we're doing amazing stuff there. And everyone else is like, oh my God, enough of this shit. Just give me a drink. Um, because they've they've departed from that type of thing. The hard part being about a three is that it never stops. So there's always some new level to achieve. It's a bit of a hamster wheel. It's kind of like your job all day is to dig a hole. And then when you wake up, the hole has been filled in. And so you have to do it all over again. At their best, these are amazing, useful, inspiring people who have lots of positive energy. They have a kind of performative self that can be very appealing. Um, they really help move teams and countries along. At average levels, it's more like the classmate or colleague who is pretty successful and pretty good energy, but is always reminding you about all the amazing things they've done. And at lower levels, it's uh, people who are just completely caught up in what other people think of their achievements and are just desperate to show you that they've achieved these high levels. Type four. Type four is called the artist or the individualist or the romantic. This is a type where feelings are more real than almost reality. So the need of a four is to feel special. Maybe when fours were children, they kind of felt like, hmm, I don't know if I'm really loved or secure. If I'm special, if I'm unique, if I'm the only one like me, if there's never been anyone like me before, if I'm living up to my true potential, if I do interesting things, if I dress in mysterious ways, if I affect different kinds of foreign accents that are not really my own, then then I'm really something. What fours don't want to be is ordinary. So to be just another person loading up the minivan in the Costco parking lot with everybody else is like death to a four, and they would just rather kill themselves than, than be that kind of person. Fours can be extremely creative, very authentic. Their sense of life is that Life is filled with extremes. The happy parts have meaning because of the sad parts. The beautiful parts have meaning because of the ugly parts. And it's really fully living. They seek authentic connection with people. They can be very entertaining when they're upbeat. They can also be a bit on the depressive side. Healthy fours are creative, authentic, interesting, kind of inspiring in that authenticity. Average fours, they're they're nice. They're a bit high maintenance and self-absorbed. Uh, They enjoy talking about their unique issues and the daily twists and turns of their feelings and relationships. They can seem a little bit affected sometimes. They're creative, though don't necessarily get a lot of creative stuff done. And the less healthy version would just be the complete self-absorbed, I am my pain kind of narcissist. Moving on, type five. Type five is the opposite of type four, really. So... Type fives are not that aware of their feelings. In fact, they may need to think about their feelings to even know what they are. We call this the observer or the investigator. They have a lust for knowing. They want to know everything. And they also have a need for privacy and detachment. So fives often feel put upon. 
The world is constantly wanting things from them, wanting to know their opinions, wanting them to speak up, wanting to hold them and hug them and touch them, wanting to talk about relationships for hours on end. Fives don't want to do that. They want separation and privacy and their own space. Virginia Woolf's book, A Room of One's Own, is probably referring a bit to a desire for fiveness. And they also love learning. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean they're super smart, but they just love to be surrounded by data and books. So a five doesn't mind looking at 20 product reviews to figure out what they really want. Fives love learning, and fives love the space to do it. So at their healthy levels, they can be amazingly perceptive. They're actually very non-judgmental. They're evaluative. So if they think someone's dumb or annoying, they'll say this person is dumb or annoying. But it's not like they're making a big moral judgment about it. They're not saying the person is bad. They're just like describing a factual situation because they don't really get invested that much in having opinions about other people. At average levels, they can be uh, good workers, knowledgeable, easy to be around, provided you're not trying to get much intimacy from them. At the lower levels, they're like hermits living in their hut in the forest and just don't want to deal with anybody and don't try and are very detached from human contact. And and they miss it because they want it, but they've lost a sense of how to how to engineer it. Type six. Type six is is one of the hardest types to describe. Um, it's called the loyalist or the questioner. And basically six is live in a world that they feel is uncertain, risky, and dangerous. Uh, They have a lot of anxiety. For a six, life is like being in a swimming pool where you can't touch the bottom. So you're looking for something to hang on to. You want something to believe in. You'd like some authority you can respect. However, you also doubt whether that authority figure will follow through in the end. So this is odd toward authority. What Six has spent a lot of time doing is imagining worst case scenarios and then planning ways not to make those scenarios come true. So they put a lot of energy into avoiding problems or solving them before they occur, and then they're relieved if it doesn't happen, but it is kind of exhausting. They're very relational. They're actually pretty good at forming relationships because they see through things pretty quickly. They don't... um, put a lot of energy into delusional type of types of relationship. Snap. They don't put a lot of energy into delusional types of relationships. Once you cross them, you're kind of dead to them for forever. Um, because in a way they've been expecting that to happen. The funny thing about sixes is that while it doesn't sound like such a fun type to be, maybe of all the people I've shared the Enneagram with, it's sixes who get the most out of it because it provides a language for explaining their in- inner states. And then they don't feel like they're weird, crazy people. They're just a normal variant of human beings. Type seven. Type seven is called the Epicure or the Adventurer. And this type strategy is the glass is half full. So enjoy life and be cheerful and look for cool things, and have fun. So sevens are go-go-go kind of people. They're great at a party. They're the first at the dance floor. They run across, oh my god, I haven't seen you so long, that's amazing. They've always got some new trip to talk about, or some new thing they're interested in. They're really fun people. They keep things going. They do have a bit of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind quality. So you run into them and, oh my God, it's so great. How can we don't hang out more? Well, because the last six times I emailed you, you didn't really respond or you weren't available or, or what have you. Their strategy is to look on the positive side. That is partly because 
They don't want to look at the dark places inside. So there's a little bit of skittering along the surface, looking at bright, shiny bits, and almost of distracting oneself. What growth looks like for a seven is to be able to slow down and not run off with the next new idea or the new friend and actually just kind of sit with what's going on and integrate to a deeper level and combine both the cheerful and the less cheerful parts of life and sink into something long enough to really master it, as opposed to finding some new passion that's going to be the one that finally resolves all their issues. Uh, But great at a party, I have to say. Type eight is called the challenger or the asserter. And these are people whose, whose strategy is to be in control. Maybe as kids, they were controlled by other people who were not that competent. So as adults... They're steamrollers. They're going to get it done, and you're not going to get in their way. It doesn't mean they necessarily want to control other people, but they don't want other people to get in their way. They're fast to get to work, a bit impatient, and their energy is, I'm here. We can get started. Let's just move. doesn't have to be that hard. They, they're good at defending the truly weak. Uh, they're a great kind of big brother, big sister type person to have, but what they can't stand are people who are sort of deliberately lame, like what my mom would call namby-pamby people who can't make up their mind and can't make commitments. And if they sense that coming, they're just going to roll right over you. Uh, So they can seem pretty brusque, but they sure get a lot done and they've got a lot of forward energy. They're also a bit guarded about the vulnerable places inside. It is very unlikely that you will see those vulnerable places unless you know them really well and there's a huge amount of trust. And even then, it won't come so easily. Type nine is called the harmonizer or diplomat or mediator, I think it's sometimes called. So this type strategy is to avoid conflict. Maybe as kids, nines felt overwhelmed by the big personalities around them. It's impossible to get a word in edgewise. And so the strategy is to hang back a bit, to observe, to choose your moments, and then uh, find ways that we can draw it all together. When Rodney King said after the LA riots and getting nearly beaten to death, can't we all just get along? That's a very nine kind of statement. So nines can be very Zen, very Buddha-like in the sense that it's all good, not reacting, just taking it all in, pretty positive. They can have a bit of a stoner pothead quality, not super focused. They have an ability to kind of cloud things for themselves, to not react. And as a result, they may not know what their needs really are or be able to easily push things forward because that would require a kind of self-awareness and self-belief that is not the first thing that comes to them. So nines are very pleasant to be around. Their challenge is to ask themselves, what's really important to me? What do I want? What am I going to fight for? How am I going to drive it forward? As opposed to just kind of following along in an amiable type of way. So that is the the Enneagram, uh, the amazing Enneagram. There's lots more that we can say about it, and I will return to it perhaps in the future. Whatever type you are, you may have what's called a wing, which is the type next to you on either side that feels strong. So Oprah uh, is probably a three achiever, and she probably has a two wing, which is the helper. Barack Obama, I think, is a three also, high achiever. You need to be somewhat of an achiever to run for all those offices. But he probably has a four wing, the artist, because only somebody with a four wing would write two 
800-page memoirs about identity, and probably it's mostly fours who are reading those books as well, maybe nines as well. So I'm actually a four with a three-wing, so that's the artist individualist, and the wing is the achiever. I think people see a lot the achiever side, and that's some of interest to me, but this idea of personal authenticity and you know what makes me special can be important to me. There's some discussion on the web that Donald Trump is an eight, but an unhealthy eight. Just search Donald Trump Enneagram 8 and see what you come up with. Another cool thing about the Enneagram is that there are what we can call directions of integration. What this means is that once you overcome your core obsession, your operating system, uh, whether it's needing to help or achieve or be in the background or dominate things, you can move to another type, which is almost like the expression of the alternate reality that has so far been blocked. As an example, ones who are the perfectionists, kind of always trying to improve and a bit uptight, when they stop trying to always be right and not be wrong and always be making things better, they actually move to seven, which is the party-hardy epicure or adventurer. And then they run off on overnight trips to Europe and meet people in bars and have fun and, and don't worry about every day having to have some particular meaning. When sevens can tone it down a little bit and stop looking for flashy, fun things all the time, they move to five, which is the observer or investigator. So they kind of sit tight in their libraries and reflect and go deeper and don't react and kind of really master something as opposed to just touch on it. When fives who are somewhat detached from human experience and very focused on knowledge let go of that, they move to eight, which is the bossy challenger asserter. They walk in and they tell you how things are going to happen and they take responsibility for motivating people along and so forth. When eight, the steamroller um, stops trying to just determine the course of everything, they actually move to two, which is the helper. So they look inside and think, what does this other person really want? What's important to them? How can I facilitate that? And so on and so forth. So there's this really cool way of thinking about how we grow by actually getting beyond who we think we really are. Okay, I'm going to close the Enneagram section with one more fun little tale. Another way that we can use this is simply to see the range of human expression that is available to us that we're not always aware of because we can be stuck in our own little trip. And I had an experience a few years ago. I was going to a Bikram yoga class, which is hot yoga, as you all know, in Northampton, Massachusetts. And I was lining up for my little class with my mat. It was about to start. And in the corner of my eye, I saw a couple of people come in. And then I realized that there was a woman who looked to be in her late 20s, who was a double amputee with a friend of hers who was getting ready for yoga. And I kind of went on an internal hyper alert, like, oh, this is an unusual situation. And I kind of felt something and I thought, well, what am, what am I feeling here? Um, what, what exactly is going on with me? And so I decided to go through the Enneagram nine types and think about how each of them would react to it and how each reaction would be different. So type one would be perfectionist. Okay, I'm going to focus on doing an extremely perfect job of my own Bikram yoga and get better and better. And maybe this person will too, because that's actually how we make progress in the world. Type two, the helper. I wonder if she needs anything. Maybe I should go get her a glass of water. You know, I'm just going to kind of observe so that um, if she's uncomfortable, I can I can help her out and just make sure that she's having a good experience here. Type three, the achiever. 
oh my God, this is so exciting, this amazing woman. I wonder if she's a veteran or, or something, but look, she's doing yoga and I'm doing yoga and she's inspiring me. And you know what? I'm probably inspiring her with my excellent form. Type four, the artist. Wow, this is trippy. What does this say about me, about my life, about the world we live in, about war, about accidents, about health? Should I even be here today? Uh, what am I doing with my own life? What would I do if I were an amputee, etc.? Type five. Oh, okay. She's doing her thing. I'm going to leave her alone and give her some space. Type six. Wow. This just shows how dangerous the world is. This beautiful young woman who is dealing with this, but she has a good friend and we can lean on it. And thank God we're here at Bikram Yoga because our teacher Bikram is showing us the path to greater self-awareness and enlightenment. Um, and I just hope that he really lives up to the praise that, that I've been giving him. Type seven, the adventurer. Wow, this is so exciting. I can't believe I'm here. I'm, this is the most amazing, wonderful thing. I got to get on the phone as soon as I get home. This amazing person's there and, and we're all together. And I'm so glad I just came here and had this experience today. Type eight, the challenger. All right, this place is a fire trap. I've already identified a clear pathway in case there's any kind of emergency or drill. These other dumbos aren't going to be on the case, but luckily I will. I'll just figure it out if something is needed. Keep an eye on things. And then type nine, the mediator or harmonizer. Wow, lots going on today. I'm just going to stay in the background. Isn't it nice that we're all part of this community and we're all just sharing and, and doing our thing together and and having a kind of cool, beautiful experience? Hmm, I wonder what's really going to happen. So as I went through that whole little uh, mind dance in my head, which I actually did, it was very instructive because my type, type four, is the one that decided that it's all about me. I'm having feelings. I must analyze the feelings. And of all the different types, the one that spoke to me most as a different way of, of experiencing this was type five, the observer. You know what? She's here. She knows what she's doing. I'm going to give her space. That's the best thing I can do. This is Michael Melcher with Meanwhile, and I will speak to you all again soon. Bye-bye.